Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I like to have my guests introduce themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name's Emily. My pronouns are she and her. I like to say that I'm a community-taught but self-driven designer. So basically, I was in school for forensic psychology before doing a design apprenticeship and basically just realizing that I was in love with all things design. So from there, did the design apprenticeship and started my career on the Warren campaign. And yeah, now I'm a product designer at Stark, which is a tech company, which helps teams build compliance software for their products more efficiently. I have so many questions about that. Before we get into the design career, what about outside of work? What are some of the things that you like to do? Yeah, so I'm super outdoorsy. I just moved to Ireland, so I really love to explore and it's been hiking and just finding new places. I love to read and rock climb, so you'll pretty much find me either outdoors or, you know, cuddled up with a good book. And I will ask you later in the show what book you recommend, but what book are you reading right now? So I actually just started I Am Still Here, I want to say the name of it is. Super shitty with book titles just because I go to the store and I pick out like 25 of them and then before I finish one book, I'll start reading like three others on different topics. But yeah, it's called I Am Still Here, I believe. Nice. Well, I will, uh, I'll check it out. We can put it in the show notes for people to look at as well. So forensic psychology, what does that mean? Okay, so forensic psychology, it's, for lack of better words, the, the psychology behind all things forensics. So basically taking the forensic aspects, so like think true crime, and then think of like the psychologist that testifies in court, or I guess that would rather have to be a psychiatrist in order to testify, but basically just the behind the scenes of serial killers, crime. Yeah, so just getting into the brains of all criminals was truly fascinating until I realized I don't think I could do it every day of my life. I can imagine. So you said you started your design career on Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. Is that correct? Yeah, super, super wild ride in all the best ways possible. So for someone like myself, I could consider that like maybe a dream job. So what is that like being your first design step? How did you sort of manage that? What was the steps to getting that position? And then maybe you could share some experience of what that was like, because um, from the outside, super impressive work. And I can imagine very high pressure. 
Yeah, so thank you for that. So I'll take you back to the beginning. How it started, essentially, I was doing a design apprenticeship with my sister and her husband, who are also designers. And we kind of came across this tweet from the creative director at the campaign, who is Raquel. And so she was looking for a graphic design intern. And my sister, like, at me in the comments, and we were just kind of, like, shooting the shit, like, okay, well, what if this happens? And, you know, just put in an application. And so put in an application and heard back a couple weeks later, had an interview. Maybe a week or so later, found out that I got it. And preparing to move to a whole other state in like five days is crazy as is but also trying to like you know learn the ins and outs of like photoshop and indesign and after effects and all that shit in such a short time period is like absolutely insane but diving into such a high pressure environment really set me up for the work i'm doing today just because you know, I feel like most people for their first job, you you get it and you're kind of like part of this big organization and you don't necessarily have the opportunity to work firsthand on big projects or have a say in things. But on the campaign, it was like everybody's voice is equal. So it's like, come sit in these meetings, give us your take and then you want to work on it, then sure, do it. So learning everything and just learning from the more senior and more experienced designers was probably like a once in a lifetime thing. It was absolutely amazing. Everybody was so helpful and you know, like understanding and willing to not only like show you what they're working on, but explain how they did it and how they got there. So super, super crazy, but so grateful for that opportunity. It really sounds like such a unique opportunity. What is the thing about working for a presidential campaign that a designer wouldn't expect? I think thinking about like a presidential campaign, it probably sounds very serious and like everybody around you is just so into politics. And while like, yes, everybody is, that's not their entire life. It's such a fun, high paced, high energy environment where at the end of the day, everybody kind of felt like family. So it was like, sure, we're working on projects, but like, let's take a few minutes to like do lunch or, you know, just have a chat and like watch Ratatouille or something. (laughs) But yeah, so I think that looking from the outside in, it feels like it's just a, a very serious environment, but on the inside, it's loving and energetic and I've never met such people with a passion for what they're working on. That's so cool. And how many designers work on on the campaign with you? Yeah, so there was maybe like 10. We had an illustrator, we had a motion designer, which we only had one of, and Laura Porret, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your last name, Laura, is fucking amazing. She's worked on like Netflix and now the Biden campaign. But yeah, we had quite a few different designers from tech to motion to illustration. And what was the sort of team structure larger than that? So I imagine you're working with other people that are not designers. Approximately, like, how many people did you work with? And, you know, what sort of roles did they have? Yeah, so we're a shit ton of people. And so being a designer, you kind of have to talk to, like, the copywriters and 
the people that do like the animations and then there's the tech team so there were at least like 30 other people that I would talk to just to understand the ins and outs and what we could do and couldn't do because at the end of the day it's a political campaign she was running for president so like you can I remember one time trying to make this gif and it was like oh yeah this is so freaking cool but like I'm not sure we can do this because one she's a woman and we know how these politicians will come after her for us trying to be funny. But yeah, so there was a ton of different touch points and people to talk to in your day to day just to ensure that like you're doing things right. I'm really curious about Stark. I will have you introduce it, but for like us, like we're huge fans of Stark. I've been following like Kat for a long time, super huge fan. I'm so curious of you know, what was it like transitioning from the Warren campaign? I'd imagine you were probably burnt out. I'll let you describe what that felt like after the campaign ended. And then what was the transition to Stark? What are you doing there now? Can you tell us more about what you're working on? You know, I'm sort of curious about the whole thing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Okay, so from the campaign, I did, I had like three weeks off before shipping down to Texas to do a freelance job at Copart, which is like a, a car company for lack of better words. And so I was there for a few months and then my sister, who, who is Kat, CEO of Stark, she messaged and she was just like, okay, you know, like we've got a lot of work to do. I was kind of already unofficially doing work for Stark, but the fact that we were going to expand the team because we got fundraising she kind of just asked if I wanted to join the team officially and so moved back to New Jersey where we both were at the time and it's a startup so it's also super super high paced. I joined officially in July and from there we did a redesign of the website, we released the web app, Shit, we released quite a few simulators so like colorblind simulator, a different vision simulator to simulate blurred vision. Uh, and now we've got quite a few things in the mix to be released within the next few months. Super, super cool work. It's still very fast-paced, but to be in an environment where the team that you're surrounded by is all equally very passionate about what they're doing and very passionate about, okay, if you need a five-minute break or you need to hop off for a couple hours, that's totally fine because we can't continue to do the good work that we're trying to do if we're not all in the right state of mind. It's something I'm very grateful for. I had no idea that you and Kat were siblings. (laughs) So it's a thing where we're like, okay, how long can we go before people start to find out? And so it's pretty funny when people actually like do find out or we actually just come out and say it. Because people are like, oh, like I would have never guessed. But yeah, she's my sister. And then I'm not sure if you know Benedict Leinert. Yeah, so he's her husband and so brother-in-law. Uh, I think I knew that from Twitter, but... Yeah. Amazing. Blown my mind. That's so funny. So I would like to assume that all of our listeners are very familiar with and understand the value of accessibility in design. So maybe instead of having you just explain the basics of accessibility, which I again, I hope everybody really has a grasp on, maybe you can talk about some of the like unexpected benefits of really focusing on accessibility and designers starting their design process with it rather than it being 
extra work at the end. So this is actually something that I had to talk to my last company about when I was down in Texas. And it's just like some people kind of just go into design with like, okay, this looks cool. That looks cool. I like it. Let's ship it. And not really thinking about, you know, the end user and what they're going to have to feel like going through it and the pain points that they're going to experience just because you wanted to make it like look cool. And so I think accessibility is something that needs to be baked in at the beginning. Otherwise, you know, like it, it is a pain in the ass at the end. It will at some point inevitably end in a lawsuit. And so just doing it from the beginning not only alleviates the pressure and, you know, like shit ton of work that you're going to have to do because you're going to get complaints. You will be sued. It, it's also a byproduct of like good design or vice versa, like accessible design is inherently good design. So that's a plus that you get from it. But yeah, just like building a product that you know everybody can use is such a good feeling. You don't want to build something, push it out, and then it's like, oh, well, I can't even see this shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what is it that your role is at Stark and how many people are at the company now? Yeah, so I'm a product designer. There's seven of us. We have three product designers, including Kat. We have a front-end developer, back-end developer, and a Mac developer now, which you guys will learn more about in the next coming months. Super freaking cool. You heard it here first. There's something coming for the Mac. That's very exciting. Super exciting, yeah. Especially after hiring our uh, Mac developer. It's super cool to learn the ins and outs of things like Big Sur and, you know, like the processes that you have to take and certain things to design by. It's super cool to learn um, something new. Yeah, well, so speaking of, I wanted to ask you, you talked about sort of in five days before starting at the Warren campaign that you moved and crammed all the Adobe suite. I'm curious what you turned to to learn those tools and if you'd recommend that path for somebody that wants to learn them. Yeah, so I learned a lot from YouTube. Anytime there was a question, you just, you know, Google it, go to YouTube, find the best tutorial, and then if that one doesn't work, find another one. But I think there are things and sites like dedicated to teaching you one suite at a time, but I think it was better in my case to learn things as I went on, just because there were so many different applications to use. And sometimes it was just like, okay, I need this one tidbit. How do I do it? And from there, the rest will unravel. So if you want to learn InDesign or After Effects or Illustrator, just take to YouTube. I think it's a great resource. Uh, I'm, we're lucky to have it. Yeah. So I usually like to ask people on the show about what advice would you have for someone just starting out in their design career. I do want to tease out the lesson that I got from you already was you were on Twitter and someone posted a job and you applied for it. You went for it and got it. And I love, I love that social media has brought more accessibility there's like the the whole difference between applying for a job and what's called a cold email where you're just like trying to introduce yourself to a recruiter or hiring manager and so it's awesome to see that move to social media as well 
but outside of just like trying to get a job, what advice would you have for someone that wants to break into product design or even working on a campaign? Yeah, so I think exactly like you said, two things I'm a big fan of are like Twitter, simply because it it's such a good connection or yeah, connection platform. So you just can start replying to people's things and you just meet so many virtually meet rather so many great people and you make those connections and then if they're ever hiring or they know somebody that's hiring like that's already a connection that you've made and they'll inherently remember your name if you are a decent person and you know actually make that connection but also like I'm just a big fan of diving into things like if you want it then go for it continuously just build up your portfolio learn about the craft if you can try to find a mentor or like again take to twitter put out a tweet share the shit that you're working on just don't be afraid to dive completely in i love how bold that is because i think those are some of the elements of more junior people or people that aspire to become a designer hesitate to do share their work dive in reach out just apply to the job so i think that's a super important message for them to hear Yeah, especially because if you're sharing your work on something like Twitter, like, Drupal's cool, there are many opinions about it, and, you know, like, if the things on it are actually usable versus, you know, just pretty. But that's why I think Twitter is great, like, you can just push out a piece of your work and then, like, you immediately get feedback. Join Slack groups, there are so many, including the Stark one. I'll plug the Stark community Slack where if you're getting started, you know, just pop your design into our channel and, you know, ask for feedback and you'll get like 50 responses in the next hour just because our community is so loving and genuinely like wants to help you and see you succeed. So uh, to be completely honest, I didn't know there was a Stark Slack community and I'm so excited to join it as soon as we're done with this interview. I was going to make sure that people knew about the newsletter, the Stark newsletter, which I think just had issue 100 came out today. Yeah. So that's also a huge one that I would like to plug for you. Just people get in the community and subscribe to the newsletter, and I will have links to both of those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. And then from there, you'll see like we're doing meetups now, like these little virtual meetups, and we'll actually have one the 28th of this month where you can meet the team and ask us all types of questions, like a little virtual coffee hour. I love that. And I'm imagining because you're in Ireland that I might actually be able to attend that. <laughs> so that's yeah, perfect. I think it'll be like 4 p.m. here, maybe like 5 p.m. your time. Usually all the San Francisco events, you know, they happen at a bad time. <laughs> yeah, we did some research. We put out tweets actually for that and put out a Slack message in our community just trying to gather the right time because people in Australia missed it last time. And, you know, even for us, it was like 2 a.m. by the time it ended. So we just want to make that a bit more accessible for everybody to attend. I love it. What about more senior designers? Is there a message that you think all of them should hear? I guess just to give people that are just starting out in this field a shot. If I didn't get that at the beginning of my career, like, who knows how far I really would have gotten instead of, I feel like, Senior designers are always looking for people with more seniority. And so one of the pillars at Stark to our hiring process is actually like hire for character and train for skill. 
So, you know, like if you can hire somebody that has the grit, has that determination and is passionate about the product that you're working on, then that's much more important than, you know, finding somebody who's like an asshole, doesn't get along with the team, but, you know, like is a perfect designer. That is some of the best advice I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of assholes, I love our creative community. I love it so much. I love the industries in it. I love the work that we do, but there are these assholes, there are bigots, there's homophobia and racism and transphobia and every form of bigotry also exists in our industry. What are your thoughts on it? How do we fight it? How do we combat it and deal with it? How do we get rid of the assholes? (laughs) Yeah, um, so I'll start with like the fact that I don't think we'll ever get rid of the assholes, which like sucks to say, but it's, it's a part of life and if we all believed in the same thing like I'm not sure how well that would go either but so it's been a really interesting experience being in tech I'm a first generation American I'm Egyptian American but I'm white passing so in my in my opinion that puts me in an interesting position I think majority of the people in this industry including myself are in a position to incite change and that starts by you know like using our voices to stand up for the others that aren't in the positions to do so educating ourselves on important topics like this instead of just you know like being oblivious or thinking that you know if it doesn't apply to me then it doesn't matter we need to challenge our subconscious biases instead of you know just riding them out and acting like they're not there because this this isn't new ultimately this isn't information that nobody's aware of But the people in positions of power need to actually stand up for those who don't have the privilege to do this. And in doing so, voicing what's necessary for change, the marginalized people will benefit long term and eventually that just becomes the new benchmark. So a a lot of designers say that our, our industry is all about empathy. Do you feel like that's actually true? I'm not sure if it's true, but I think it's what needs to be true. But also, this is where we need to acknowledge that there's a difference between, like, empathy and sympathy. Like, while we can try to empathize, we can't always do so because we haven't been in those situations. And I think sympathy, like, comes off as kind of like a negatively connotated word. Like, oh, I'm so, like, I feel so sorry for you. So I, yeah, I think we need to learn how to empathize and sympathize and then not only, like, just feel those things but again iterate on them and act on them and do something to make a fucking change instead of just you know like feeling that way like you can empathize or sympathize with one thing but then do something to change it this might be a little bit of a tangent so i apologize if it's too far but you mentioned you were a first generation american and now you're living in ireland i'm from america originally and i've immigrated to the netherlands what is that experience like for you? Do you feel, I don't know. I, I'd just love to hear from you. I have lots of opinions on what it feels like to be in America and not living in America. I'd love to hear how you feel about it. Yeah. So given the current state of America, I am very, very thankful and lucky that I have the opportunity to be in another country and experience a different culture and a different government and just an entirely different system because after fully experiencing that you can look back and be like okay I knew America was a bit fucked but now like to see 
how like the government in Ireland yells over like nothing. Like it's very rare to see these people angry. And then flip side in America, Trump just incited insurrection. So I think it humbles you and it allows you to open your eyes to see like this is what a functioning society can look like. And yeah, it's it's an interesting experience. If if anybody has the opportunity to move out of America and experience another culture and country and see how they operate, I would highly suggest doing so. Uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, having that context just gives a lot of perspective. I can't imagine what it is like to watch the current state of politics having worked for Elizabeth Warren. How do you feel about it? I think seeing, so I'm glad Biden and Kamala were elected. I'm very glad for that, hopeful for the future, or as they say, like the soul of the nation. But I think it's, it's genuinely sad to see like how, how the campaigns went, how I think personally, Elizabeth Warren wasn't like, regarded in the highest esteem that she could have been. Like, people kind of downplayed her or, you know, like, I don't know how to necessarily put it. But I think it's it's a bit sad to see the way it played out for her because I think she deserved better. But I'm very glad that we have Biden and Kamala as president and vice president-elect because, like, already you can see in the way that they're setting up their cabinet that there will be change. So now let's just hope the next four years go better than the last four. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Who is one person that you think our listeners should know about? Ooh, this is a hard one. I guess I'll just say who I've been listening to a lot lately, because that's who just comes first to mind. So I've been listening a lot to Brene Brown. She has the Unlocking Us podcast. She is a shame and vulnerability researcher. And she is just not afraid to get real, talk about shame and vulnerability and guilt and just things that we don't necessarily talk about as often as we should. She also has the Daring Greatly podcast, which would be good for anybody in a position of seniority because it kind of just like ultimately teaches you how to be a better leader, especially with your team. What about reading? You mentioned that you like to pick a whole armful of books up every time you go to the store. What do you think everybody should read? Okay, something... Okay, first one would have to be Disability Visibility by Alice Wong. I'm not sure if you've read about it, but it's a phenomenal collection of life stories and experiences from people with disabilities from all different walks of life. So you you get a bit of information from all different types of people just to hear their stories. And they're not necessarily sto- stories that you would hear or become aware of from other places. It's equal parts eye-opening and educational and heartbreaking. I had to read it in chunks just because like it's it's very informational but like it tugs at your heart a bit because you just wish you could do more. Another one that I actually just read is called Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. 
It's a memoir and collection of essays, I believe. It's like 12 essays about her grandmother's time, her time, and her mother's, which is very, very well written. So yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Awesome. I can't wait to read that one as well. Perfect. Yeah, definitely recommend those too. So I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So what we do on this show is we split the proceeds of our advertisers with all of the guests of the show. Outside of that, are there other ways that people can support you? No, but I guess this could be like a chance to plug like organizations. Two that I support are Planned Parenthood and Girls Who Code. Girls Who Code is a mission to close the gender gap in technology. So yeah, I think that's a good description of what they do. So yeah, you can all go donate to them. Perfect. Absolutely. We'll have donate links and the show will also donate some proceeds. Oh, awesome. So I know you from Twitter. You mentioned that you love Twitter. Is that the best place for people to find you? Where else can people find you? Yeah, you'll mainly just, you know, find me tweeting a bunch of bullshit on Twitter. And that's about it. I'm not like a a fan of Instagram, I'll say. I'm trying to get better with posting just my adventures, but mainly Twitter. And if y'all subscribe to the Stark meetup, uh, you could catch me there. We'll do one like once or twice a month. Plus the Slack community, which I just learned about. So we'll all join. Everyone will get in there. That'll be nice. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for being on Bezier. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, I guess just summaries. Dive into things that you want. Use your voice if you're in a position of power and privilege. And, you know, stay optimistic. (laughs) 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 Those are my two cents. (laughs) I, I think, personally, I've found it to be difficult to be optimistic. As you mentioned, we're recording this like literally the day after the impeachment happened from the House. So like we're kind of in limbo right now. There's lots of civil unrest. There's lots of threats. So I appreciate the message of of trying to stay optimistic. Yeah, it might be a bad thing to say. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, in these times, but if it's possible, you know, try to think of at least one good thing a day. I like to imagine the the person listening to this episode in the future and that things are better for them than they are right now for us. So thank you so much again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was super rad and super glad to get to talk to you finally. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.